from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss, and that's the winner! That's the winner! A World Series winner for the Cardinals! Smith corks one in the right down the line. It may go! Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2 on a home run by the Wizard! Go crazy! Swinging a long one into left field! Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's the winner! A three-run homer by Clark! the Cardinals lead by the score of seven to five and they may go to the World Series on that one folks. What a team, what a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. Welcome to That's the Winner podcast. I'm Ryan Jenkins, and with me is my co-host, Josh Brown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at That's a Winner Pod. On this episode, we'll be joined by former ESPN and the athletic Cardinals beat writer, Mark Saxon. Mark will break down the latest on the Cardinals' offseason possibilities and how this lingering CBA lockout will affect this offseason. So, Josh, let's get into it uh, straight away with gold gloves. Cardinals had a few. Yeah, they had quite a bit, didn't they? <laughs> Six out of the, the nine filters there? How about that? And, you know, one of them I thought about, I expected to see, was Adam Wainwright. They, people talked about all season that this was going to be a gold glove year, and he wasn't even one of the three finalists. Yeah, a little bit surprising. Wayne was usually right up there. He's always making great plays on the mound, but that's kind of one of those arbitrary ones a little bit, right? I, I don't know even how they come up with who those three are. Uh, yeah, I, I assume if you don't have an air as a pitcher, then all, all of a sudden you're just kind of put in there. But, uh, you know, it, the as good of a year he had pitching, I just kind of expected that that one as well. But on the uh, the flip side, the ones that we knew were going to be coming were obviously Tyler O'Neill, left field. Uh, yep, he won it last year. Won it last year. Obviously, he was going to be in the top race. And I looked at all the numbers. He is probably the most guaranteed to win the actual award, like leading every category for defensive run save, like every analytical category there is he's pretty much number one in all of them yeah he, he's up there i think he's a lock and for me the other one i think is a lock is paul goldschmidt really you think that's a lock so i was thinking of other, i was looking at other locks like what i thought was definite and bader looked to me compared to all the numbers that he was head and shoulders over everyone in that category like uh the guys he's going against was reynolds um and i can't think of the third one off the top of my head but reynolds and and bader but the other two guys didn't pro- oh i think it was um you have it up? Yeah, I've got it here. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Brian Reynolds. Yeah, so Reynolds and Jackie Bradley Jr. both missed time. Yeah. And well, Bader did too early on. This right, season. so if you if everything's all even. That's true. Then his numbers were were, were just as, were better than all, yeah. all the Head and shoulders, for yeah. sure. And then, so then you think about uh, those, uh, so the Goldschmidt, you can, you know, give your two cents on why you think he's a no-doubter, but. Yeah, I didn't dig into the stats as much as I should have, but if it's not Goldschmidt, I think it's going to be Freddie Freeman, right? I think those two are the premier first baseman defensively in the National League. Max Muncy was the other finalist um, this year. I don't and he missed how much time? He he missed some time, and, and he didn't play first base the full season. Right. I, I, and definitely not as many innings as Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. But, well, but Goldschmidt this year, man, I mean, just he's always been solid, those plays to him. But it seemed like he made so many of those incredible plays this year, especially some of the double plays that he started. Oh, yeah. Well, you think of a couple right off the bat and just the double plays started. We were at one. Yeah, absolutely. The craziest one of the season with Bader's involved from Danny Mack with a great call. <laughs> but, um, you know, you think about those, and then the New York one was the other one, obviously, and both in the 17-game win streak. But, you know, so many picks. You know, Arenado is not as good as he is without Goldschmidt picking him up. Oh, yeah. And Sosa may have hit three more umpires without <laughs> without Goldschmidt over there, you know, making the scoops and, and making the great plays. So, I mean, you know, I think that Goldschmidt is phenomenal. I just didn't know if he was a lock compared to some of the other options. Um, looking, uh, you know, across the diamond in the other corner, Arnado, he had a rough start to the season. Like, uncharacteristically, I was like, is this the right guy? Like, he was pretty suspect early on and was kind of worrisome for me. Yeah, Nolan, though, I think is another guy. I think he's going to win it. All right, I, I think he's going to get his ninth in a row. Um, he, he still made just those incredible plays this year. The other competition for him, the finalist, Ryan McMahon and Manny Machado, I think between the three, it'll probably be between Nolan and Manny Machado would be my guess. Yeah, and I think if he would get to 
10, I don't know, maybe wrong, 9 or 10, wherever he is exactly now, he would be the third most ever for a, a third baseman, if I if I have that right. It's uh, Brooks Robinson with like 18 or something like that. Crazy amount. <laughs> but yeah. And then um, he would tie Scott Rowland with this one, I think, uh, is where he is with it, which yeah. is w- incredible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this would be his ninth in a row. He's won, won eight, first eight seasons. He's, he's won eight, so I'm pretty sure this would be his ninth. But yeah, I mean, either way, it would be incredible. Yeah, and then we get to Yadi. He, to me, is the least likely of the bunch to actually be able to um, to be able to win. I would agree. Yeah, uh, a lot of people talk about, now again, I didn't dig into the stats as much as I should have. I was listening to Danny Mac the other day. Um, people are very high on Jacob Stallings with the Pirates. Apparently, he's very good defensively. And, of course, JT Romuto was a guy, I believe, that was on there last year as well. Another stellar defensive catcher. You know, and people, I think Cardinals Nation gets very um, jaded by Yadier Molina. It's kind of like watching Pujols for 10 years. Like, you expect so much out of them, and then you don't realize how good you still have it, if that makes sense. Like, he is still an elite catcher, and he does way more at the plate than people even realize of his quality of at bats and clutch hitting all those things and i think that we're just at a point where like oh we didn't realize that he's still doing it at this age i didn't expect because of all that hate for him to even be in the final three um i didn't think that was going to happen so i don't know if it's a nostalgia thing that people they put him there you know he's you know going to play his last season um but i hope to see his catching abilities go up next year because it is his final season yeah it could have just been the namesake right but i mean one thing yadi did great this year again was limiting the run game right I mean he's just so good at that and then you talk about the intangibles the game calling the pitch calling that he does throughout the game I mean we've seen the stats before when Yachty's catching and when he's not the starters ERAs there's a vast difference every year and that's a good point though that is one of my favorite stats is when they show the side-by-side of Cardinals versus I think Arizona's number two with who has allowed the most stolen bases in the last 15 years and Cardinals are hundreds oh, yeah. below the rest of the league. Hundreds. And that's all because of Yadier Molina. Um, and then the last one is Tommy Edmund. The dark I, horse. I saved that one for last because I really dove into the metrics. And I think he should actually win. I do, yeah. I agree with you. I don't know that he's... I don't think that he's going to. I will say that. I don't... I, how about this? I'll be surprised if he actually wins. But all the number breakdowns shows that he probably should win. And he, we... And it's funny or whatever you want to call it, that Colton Wong is, is who he's <laughs> going against on the other side. Right. But Tommy was a fin- fantastic replacement for uh, Wong and much cheaper. He was, <laughs> and he surprised me. I, I, I didn't think he was going to be this good defensively. Um, I think what might knock him a little bit is playing so many different positions early on. Right, He, he logged a lot of time in right field to start the season when we had some injuries there. But, again, all things being equal, you know, Colton – Missed, he missed, a lot he of missed time. some time with some injuries. Now, Ozzy and a baby, he had a and baby, a, and a baby, which is a pretty good excuse, right? Yeah. Now, Ozzy Albies is another guy I think is on there for his name out of the three by far the best offensively. Uh, I don't know his defensive metrics as well, but obviously stayed healthy the whole year, played second base all season. So that might give him a little bit of a leg up. I'm not sure. Well, in, in the metrics part of it, Tommy ranks one, two, or three pretty much in every defensive metric, which is obviously why he's a finalist, right? But the other two don't rank one, two, or three right. in all of the metrics. So I don't understand exactly how they decide, you know, what is the, the end-all, be-all, and, and, you know, are they giving them point scores based on this and that? I don't, I don't really know what it is. But if you look at the raw numbers, I think Tommy Ed- Edmund is the actual choice. But um, if you break down all of those, we have six. Um, how many actually win? Not that we want to win or we think it's going to win. Right. How many... How many do you think that they are going to choose as gold glovers from the St. Louis Cardinals? I think we're going to get three of those six. I feel pretty confident. Three? I was thinking four. You're thinking four. You say, well, because you're thinking Tommy, too. No, I'm, I'm not putting... No. I don't think Tommy's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to get uh, Bader, okay. O'Neal, Arnado, and Goldie. I was forgetting about Bader. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm there with you on the four. Again, what... What's tricky with me with Bader is are they gonna are the voters gonna look a little bit at, at his innings right because I think he 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 just qualified by a little bit because some of those injuries they had but but still I mean to be that high in the defensive runs saved and all those other metrics is incredible the fact that he he didn't play a full season worth of it right and and 
that kind of goes to the point. He has more like defensive run saved, right? And he didn't play as many innings as the other guys. And Jackie Bradley Jr. missed a lot of time as well. So I think that they're. I think four. I think uh, it, realistically four. I think it is a catastrophe if O'Neill doesn't win somehow. Like there are years we talk about Yachty. I didn't think he was should have been on this list maybe this year, but there are years where he should have won and didn't. There was a couple that I come that come to mind when uh, Buster Posey won one year, and yep. and there's another one that I slip in my mind at the moment who he lost to. But there was a couple that he was the best catcher, and there should have been two more. So I think maybe that's why he even made it on the list. But O'Neill comes to that mind of if some if he doesn't win, something has gone terribly wrong. Oh yeah, I agree, and it's it's so amazing, right? Because we saw O'Neill become this complete player this year with the offensive. And a lot of people think that you just think about his power, right? The offensive this year. He was great defensively this year. There were so many like game-saving plays. I think about the leaping catch at the wall on Mookie Betts against the Dodgers when we were on the cusp of getting swept in that series to keep us from from losing that. Like he just made so many good plays that a lot of left fielders don't even get remotely close to. I think about it, his throws at home. Oh yeah, there's so many of those that I I go back to some of our uh, downtimes in left field. Matt Holiday, what was an adventure in left field? Uh, Ozuna was an adventure in left field. Oh, yeah. Uh, all the way back to Dunk was an adventure in left field. Like, there was a lot of not great outfielders for the St. Louis Cardinals in left field. And I can't think of one off the top of my head that he uh, compares to um, that how good he is all-around player. Um, because Oz- we thought Ozuna was going to be that guy who had won a gold glove before he came to St. Louis. But he never really panned out in the defensive category. So those are a lot of different um, guys, but um, breaking down the six, I think there's four, maybe you're three or four. Um, I think Bader should win. I think that O'Neill should win and Arenado should win and Goldie should win. I think those are literally four locks. I don't know if I'm belaboring that too much, but I think those are four locks. And I think Tommy has an outside chance. Yeah, for sure. Looking here, the defensive run saved Tyler O'Neill led all left fielders. All, and this is all of baseball, not just the National League, with 12 defensive runs saved this year. The next closest was Ramel Tapia, Colorado, with seven. <laughs> seven to 12. Yeah. And it's just, he's quick. That's one thing people don't think about either with, with him is how fast he is. You know, obviously we see it when he's running the bases, but obviously that helps a ton whenever you're going uh, out in the outfield and, and making awesome plays. For sure. And the guy not on this list, obviously, was Dylan Carlson, which he moved around a little bit this this season. But I'll tell you, you talk about a guy who made some great throws. He had some big outfield assists this year, too, playing balls off the wall, just making great plays, great throws home to get people out. So it wouldn't surprise me in a year or two to have maybe seven guys on this list. You know, I I thought about that, too. Like, in a couple of years, he's he's that dude. He's next man up. And then, you know, we sign Carlos Carrera, and we have another guy right there at shortstop. That would be perfect, <laughs> right? Correa would be fantastic. All right, well, uh, we're getting closer here to the World Series coming to a close, and we're moving closer to the offseason. With that, we'll actually be talking to our first-ever guest here on the show, and he's got some thoughts on the Cardinals' offseason plans. Joining us now on the phone, former ESPN and the Athletic Cardinals beat writer, St. Louis native and baseball storyteller, Mark Saxon. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, it's, it's nice on a sunny, cool day like this to talk a little baseball here with the World Series going on, a lot of hot stove stuff, hopefully coming later in the winter. And thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. So I want to start with uh, something a little more personal instead of getting right into the Cardinals. But you're you're from St. Louis originally. You grew up a Cardinals fan, right? But you covered, sure. you covered yeah. the Dodgers for many, many years before coming back to St. Louis. I was just wondering about the dynamic of rooting for your team or rooting for your beat. Well, it's funny, you know, um, I did cover the Dodgers for several years, but I, I was kind of like a wandering, you know, scribe on the West Coast. I covered the Giants. I covered the Oakland A's. I covered the Angels, and I covered the Dodgers. So I sort of wandered around a little bit on the West Coast. That's kind of how I started my baseball writing career. Um, but, yeah, you know, you you know, the love, I think, is really kind of established when you're younger, right, when you're a kid, really. And for me, you know, I'm – I'm 51 years old, so for me, it was those Cardinals teams in the 1980s, right? The great Whitey teams. Um, in fact, I saw today that it was Willie McGee's 63rd birth, birthday, and that made me feel really, really old. 
because uh, I, I could still remember I, I, my sister had sent me to clean my room. And so I was upset about that because my room was just a disaster. But I remember listening to Jack Buck describe uh, Willie McGee's major league debut. I, for some reason, it's one of those memories that sticks in my uh, head. And I just remember the excitement uh, that Jack Buck kind of got across about how exciting this young kid could be and look, look how he turned out. So, yeah, you know, in terms of on the journalism side, you know, honestly, once you start covering baseball and you're around these guys every day, that fandom, just it just goes away. And it sounds like you sort of have to talk yourself out of it, but it really isn't like that. It just becomes part of what you're doing and what you, what you have to do to do a good job for the people who hire you. So, it's weird. Like the, my first major league baseball game I ever covered was Cardinals at Giants, and Willie McGee. It's funny this comes full circle, but he was one of the first people I interviewed one on one, and it was because Dusty Baker just admired him so much. They had this great friendship, and I asked Dusty, "Could you ever see him being on your coaching staff?" Willie was at the very end of his playing days, and Dusty said, "That'd be amazing. This guy's got a ton to you know share, and he's a." great baseball man so that was one of the first stories I did and it's funny you know that my first sort of taste of it this was back in 1998 ends up being you know a Willie McGee Cardinals story so there you go I I hope I brought it all back to home there yeah that's awesome I'm curious too Mark in your years covering the Dodgers and Cardinals do you have a particular player that maybe was your favorite to interview or talk to obviously a lot of people talk about like Adam Wainwright, right? The type of person he is off the field. Clayton Kershaw, I've heard as well, both do a lot off the field. Was there one player that sticks out to you one or two over the years that you really enjoyed covering? No, but you know, for me, there's like a handful of guys who I found both, um, you know, just nice guys, approachable guys, but also interesting with some things to say and a story to tell. Um, The two guys you mentioned, definitely right there. Just to do a little kind of compare contrast, Kershaw and Wainwright have a lot in common. You know, they're very um, charitable. They're very conscientious about sort of what is expected of them with that ace, you know, status and all the rest of that. They're a little different personality-wise, just if I could kind of share that. Kershaw is very, very intense on days that he's pitching. Um, His own teammates don't even come near him, you know, on days he's pitching. Afterwards, he can be very prickly in, uh, you know, group interview sessions. And I've, so I would go back and forth with him. He would get upset sometimes over stuff that I would ask. Whereas Wainwright, I would say, you know, has that very kind of Southern hospitality kind of personality. He's, you know, very warm and open on, you know, pretty much all the time, including days he's pitching. But I do think they share a lot in common. But like personality with the media is maybe a little bit different. But you're right. Those those two guys are really, I think, good human beings who kind of are really what baseball is looking for, which is good ambassadors. Well, that's a good segue because I'm going to ask you about some Cardinals pitching then. <laughs> so right. the 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 Cardinals, you know, obviously need to solidify their their starting rotation. Do you where do you think the Cardinals are going to go? You're going to go outside the organization, going to stay inside the organization. Where do you think uh, and what they're going to do? Well, so, like, if we sort of tick it down, right? I mean, the number one starter is going to be Jack Flaherty. Let's assume he's healthy. There's no reason to think he's not going to be perfectly healthy, right? There was no major, you know, arm injury or it didn't seem or sort of hint of that. Dakota Hudson's going to be back, right? So there's really two still young, kind of right in their prime guys. Miles Michaelis has a chance, I think, to be perfectly healthy in there. Um, and then, you know, you sort of get into a lot of, you know, vagueness at that point forward. I do think that it makes a lot of sense to sign um, one of these veteran guys, and a lot of them, just for whatever reason, happen to be left-handed, whether it's John Lester or Jay Happ or, you know, one, one of the other guys who's going to be out there, whether it's Rich Hill. I just think you're seeing some of these pitchers, especially guys who have really dominant breaking balls, really thrive late in their careers, which we didn't see 10 years ago. And I think the reason for that is with the swings nowadays and the way the game is going, which is essentially every hitter in the lineup is trying to hit home runs, you can kind of, you can prey on that with a great breaking ball. It's hard to lift a good breaking ball for a home run. And so you're seeing some of these guys pitch really well into their 
their later years. So I think I think it does make sense to sign one of the above. Pick whichever guy you think is going to have the most longevity. I don't think there's anything wrong with you know offering John Lester a competitive one-year deal, whether that's 10 million, whatever the going rate is for a guy like that. It just gives you a little stability so that you feel better about allowing. Matthew Liberator to take his time and come up when he's really hot and, you know, they know he can contribute versus maybe having to rush him. So I don't, I don't personally think they need a Max Scherzer level pitcher. And I don't think they'll spend that kind of money. It just hasn't been their MO, but I do think it makes sense to sign at least one more veteran guy who at the very least, assuming he stays healthy, you know, you're going to get 30 starts out of. We saw that a lot of their sort of second-tier prospects on the pitching end, you know, Johan Oviedo, Jake Woodford, they didn't have the command to do it at this stage of their career. Maybe they will later, but right now it's just not there. So it just makes sense to get at least one veteran guy you know is going to throw strikes, you know is going to give you innings. So I would think that would be the easiest thing to accomplish. I would expect that to be the first thing they tick off the list once they're allowed to extend an offer. So, I, 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 yeah, I think that makes some sense. Um, but again, I don't expect it to be a multi-year deal and I don't expect it to be, you know, necessarily a pitcher is in kind of the prime of his career. Yeah, I totally agree, Mark. And hopefully they've, they've learned their lesson from this year, right? They waited a little bit long to get pitching and obviously there's reports going into spring training this year. They're going to want to turn Alex Reyes and maybe even Jordan Hicks, which is really interesting into a starter, but signing a guy, I think like you mentioned, um, John Lester, or someone like that is kind of insurance, right? Uh, as maybe a fifth or sixth starter, I think is a great idea. And there's some lower, mid to lower tier level guys that'll be out there too, like an Alex Cobb, Danny Duffy. Even if they wanted to take a flower on uh, Noah Syndergaard coming back, right? Right, right. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go. You can go the high risk, high potential upside, the Noah Syndergaard. Um, that's, I think, a great way to go. And by the way, you you mentioned, I think, a good, you know, this Alex Reyes. You know, turning him into a starter, I think, is a fantastic idea. This is a guy who really, I think, will be better as a starter than he was as a reliever because he's got three very good pitches. He's not just fastball, curveball, or fastball changeup. He's got he's got the three, um, and I think that over time, I think he's a big, strong guy. I think his velocity will hold up as games go on. I think it's what he wants to do. So I do think even if there might be a little bit of a bad taste in some Cardinals fans' mouth about, you know, the way he finished as a closer, I do think he has a chance to be a really, really good starting pitcher. And given everything he went through, that would be a really cool storyline, I think, for this organization. Yeah, and on the the bullpen side, too, um, obviously they wouldn't get out, you know, Luis Garcia, TJ McFarlane. I think we saw here, and Mosaic might have been on to something, whether he, he stumbled upon it or planned it, but these guys that just, these sinker ball guys that just throw strikes, right? This defense, oh my gosh, we've got six gold glove finalists. They've, they've proven that if you get guys that just throw strikes and keep the ball down, um, we're going to get some outs. Yeah, and that's another argument why you don't necessarily need to go out and get that know 27 year old guys throws 100 miles an hour and it's going to cost you you know 100 million over five years or whatever it is whatever the going rate is for you know maybe the third or fourth best starting pitcher on the market I think I think they can set their sights a lot lower than that and there's going to be a ton of guys out there and potentially you know I, I hate to bring this up in an otherwise pleasant conversation but you know let's say that free agency is is condensed Let's say that it takes them a while to work out the CBA and free agency starts on February 1st, just to you know, pick a date. You're going to have a month of tons of guys scrambling to get on a team. Right. And there's going to be guys, especially some of these you know, 39, 38, 40-year-old guys who still think they can compete who are going to kind of be left without a chair you know, at the end of the musical chairs. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get players sort of on team-friendly deals. And so I think it's a good offseason for the Cardinals to be in position like they are, which is essentially a pretty good roster and just a few, you know, a few small tweaks and you can have a very, very good roster. So I, I do think they're in pretty good shape, you know, going into this thing, much better shape than a lot of teams are. Well, another perfect segue by you. Uh, so what's your pulse on the CBA? It's obviously sounds like it's going to end um, in 
be kind of like a, a lockout starting on December 2nd. Is that going to kill the hot stove season for the Cardinals? Uh, what do you think it means? Like we're going to try and get some stuff done before that December 1st? Or are we going to be talking about February, March scrambling to try and get guys signed? Yeah, you know, I, I for year I was always like the beat guy on a team. I didn't have to delve too much into all that stuff. But so I don't have any particular like insight into how those negotiations will go. But I'm like you. I mean, we, there's not a lot of evidence that that these two sides, you know, adore each other and are ready, ready to sit down and just get this thing done because they're on the same page. Right. If anything, there's all these, you know, you hear all these rumblings that the owners want to really attack the arbitration process. Players are kicked off because, you know, the average wage corrected for inflation has actually gone down for them since the last CBA, wondering if Tony Clark is the guy. So I think there's a lot of, you know, there's where there's a lot of smoke there. And unless cooler heads prevail among the owner's side, among the player's side, I, I, I could see it being a problem. But in terms of like localizing a little bit, I think it's going to affect the Cardinals much less than many teams. Um, you know, and in terms of what business they'll look to address early, I would think it's their own guys, right? Um, they're going to have to decide who they're going to tender contracts to before that that deadline for arbitration. Um, among the young guys, you know, they're, they'll have to work out contracts with them. But in terms of signing players who are either free agents or go out, going out and trading for players, I think that's all going to be frozen. I really do. I mean, you may see some trade discussions. But I really don't think we're going to see much traction in the hot stove until that thing's decided. Um, but again, you know, I don't think the Cardinals have these glaring holes in their roster. I think if you were to freeze all transactions, the Cardinals would be in a lot better shape going into next spring training than a lot of teams are. And that includes some teams who made it further in the playoffs, I think, who have bigger holes to fill, um, you know. Even the Dodgers have some major, major pieces walking out the door, including Max Scherzer, including who knows what's going to happen with 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 uh, Bauer and Clayton Kershaw as a free agent. So the Cardinals really are in a pretty good position here, you know, having gotten those extensions done with Yachty and, and Wainwright. Yeah, and you make a good point, too, about the younger players with the arbitration hearings coming up. It is going to be really interesting because there's a lot of guys that are going to be due uh, for some for some uh, upgrades, for some uh, raises, right? Especially a guy like Tyler O'Neill after this season, incredible season. Even Harrison Bader showed more at the plate. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly, and that's kind of the Cardinals' MO, right? Especially locking these guys down. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if we see maybe even some extensions from some of those guys. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I wonder whether they would explore, <clears throat> you know, Tyler O'Neill sort of seems like the, the perfect candidate because he's got – He's, he's really, really good on both sides of the ball. He's a great defender as well as, you know, having that breakout season. Now, in terms of arbitration, it, it, it is going to cost the Cardinals because the number one factor by a mile in these arbitration hearings is your platform year. And your platform year is the last one you just had. And Tyler O'Neill, wherever he ranked in OPS, I think it was top 30 in the majors, he's in for a big pay raise. So that's one to keep an eye on. Some of the payroll will just tick up naturally based on some of the raises we're going to see. Jack Flaherty, Tyler Neal, Harrison Bader, some guys you mentioned, other guys. Giovanni Gallegos would certainly do a deal. I think it would behoove them. I know they've talked to him about an extension. I think they might, you know, to give him a two-year deal might not be a terrible idea. So, yeah, a lot of that payroll, you know, that will come off the books with Matt Carpenter, you know, probably moving on. Other guys, you know, Andrew Miller. There's twelve and a half million that frees up. Some of that's going to go to raises, but there are going to be opportunities to make some moves here as well. And you certainly don't want to see the team pocket that money. And I don't. I don't think that will happen. But I do think the payroll will probably be in that hundred and sixty-two million dollar range, which is almost always right about where it is. Yeah, and obviously that that payroll freeing up, kind of what you're talking about there, kind of leads me to my next question, right? And it's the biggest one on my mind: uh, the shortstop situation, right, going into next season. It's probably one of the biggest question marks it seems like going into this this next year. And for me, really, there, there's three options that I think the Cardinals have on the table, right? Option number one, they could roll with Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa again for the season, play the hot hand, see how that plays out, just go with the guy who's doing the best. Option two, 
they can move Tommy Edmond to shortstop, give the young guy Nolan Gorman his opportunity at second base. He logged a lot of innings there this year. They're getting him innings there at the Arizona Fall League. And Tommy, actually, I was looking, he actually played more minor league innings at shortstop than any other position. So he's obviously comfortable there. So that's option number two. But then option number one, um, and my option number one, talking with Ryan today, this is the option I want, right? Probably a lot of Cardinals fans do. (laughs) They've got an opportunity. This is one of the best shortstop free agent classes that we'll probably see for a while, right? With Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Marcus Simeon. They could go out and get one of those guys. So my question for you, Mark, is what option do you think is the best and what option do you think the Cardinals will actually realistically do this offseason? Yeah, so I'll answer the first one first. I think of all the people you mentioned, I think the one that fits with this roster the best, and I happen to think, you know, quite possibly is the best player among all those guys, is Corey Seager. Um, You know, I covered him on the Dodgers. I think he's just kind of a perfect fit for Cardinal Nation. He's a very laid-back kid, but he's also very hardworking, very regimented. Comes from a total baseball background. His father played in the minor league. You know about Kyle Seager was a really good third baseman for the Mariners for a lot of years. Um, and and he had another brother who was a catcher in the Mariners organization. So this is – they all sort of had these the exact same swings in some ways. The father had sort of taught them the same left-handed swing. So he would be a great fit in Cardinals Nation. And also, you know, the left-handed bat in the middle of your lineup, I think, is sorely lacking right now. That sort of just pure hitter that can sort of break up all the righties in the Cardinals uh, lineup between O'Neill, Arenado, Goldschmidt. All the power in the middle of their lineup is right-handed. And I do think it would be nice to sort of break that up a little bit, have a little more balance. So, And Seager, you know, whether he stays at shortstop long-term or ends up somewhere else, he's just a good enough athlete that he can do a lot of things. So I think he's the best fit, but my, my guess is that he and Carlos Correa are going to get by far the biggest contracts of that group. And so I think they're both going to probably be out of the realistic realm for what the Cardinals like to do, which is to sort of go after third and fourth tier free agents rather than the top guy at any position. So I would think a Trevor story would be a likelier uh, scenario. And if I'm a Cardinals fan, I have no problem with that because I think the guy has a great chance to bounce back. There wasn't a whole lot to play for in Colorado. He didn't like the management of the club. It's pretty obvious for good reason. It's not a good ownership situation in Colorado. So I could see him really thriving here as well. And he's an elite, not only hitter, but also shortstop. So that plays right in with their defense kind of mentality. So, you know, any of the above, I think, would work. I think the, the most dangerous scenario would be to just sort of stand pat with what you have. Could Tommy Edmond play short? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be maybe on an everyday basis the, the, the fielder that you would want him to be. I think he's a little better suited for second base. Um, and I think Edmundo Sosa, to me, I know he had a good year last year. He looks like a bench guy. So I think it's a little risky to just go with what you have in-house. I just don't think there's enough offensive upside for an Edmundo Sosa to do that. And Paul DeYoung, he just hasn't hit really since, what, the first half of 2019. So I think that's, that's a little bit dangerous. I think they need to add somebody there. Um, I just don't know exactly who it is. But if you were to press me right now, the likeliest scenario, I'd probably say Trevor Story. I mean, don't get us all excited. I mean, I think that's all what <laughs> the Cardinal Nation wants is a move of some sort uh, for shortstop. But do you think the likelihood is the Cardinals do nothing or they sign a Trevor Story? You know, no, I, I think that I think they'll get very, very deeply involved in those conversations with Trevor Story. What you don't know is, is there a, a team out there that we're not thinking of that's absolutely intent on having him and will, will outbid them? Because the Cardinals have not been one of those teams that really gets engaged in those kinds of scenarios a lot of times. They'll put their best offer out there and then say, look, that's our best offer. If you want to be a Cardinal, we'd love to have you. But they don't typically go back and forth a lot. I just don't think it's their M.O. But I, I would expect them to get deeply involved there. Um, and if that doesn't happen, you know, the, the most success they've had, if you look at it over the last, really, under John Mosvalak, has been through the trade market. And it's usually sort of a depressed asset on a team that isn't going anywhere, that's got a bad situation, that needs to lay off money, and they just sort of make sure they're the last man standing. So 
I, I think that'll be their backup, but I, I do think they need to add one more up the middle infielder. Um, as much as I love Nolan, Nolan Gorman, and I think he's going to be a really good major league player for a long time, it's just a little risky to think about a guy who just learned to play second base coming up and kind of the continuity you're looking for. So I just don't see them, you know, going that route and assuming he's going to be an everyday guy right away. Um, I think they'd like to see him play some minor league games, you know, a few more minor league games and come up when he's, you know, red hot. And if there's a DH, if there's, you know, that's going to be more at bats for everybody. It's not just the DH. It's you can put Paul Goldschmidt at DH for a day. You can put Arenado. You can put Tyler O'Neill. So um, I do think they need to add one more up the middle defender. And as I've said, I think the ideal scenario is to get a left-handed hitter because I think they're a little bit too right-handed right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think a lot of Cardinals fans, I know I, I'm pinching myself that we even still have Nolan Gorman, right? Because it was just an afterthought that he would be in any Nolan Arenado trade. So either way, his future seems bright. I completely agree on Corey Seager. The left-handed bat would be huge, but like you said, probably going to command the most money. Trevor Story coming off of his worst, air quotes, worst season, right? But it was still, what, 24 home runs, 75 RBI, 20 stolen bases. The guy's just dynamic, and I think he seems like he's going to be the option I would think that he, they go after, especially having the Nolan Arenado connection, right? You know those guys had to have been talking at the All-Star game. They had dinner the night before. Nolan's got to be in his ear, right? Oh, there's no question about it. So much happens, you know, sort of, among players throwing things around. <clears throat> I can tell you that for years before Nolan Arenado ever became a Cardinal, he was texting Yadi Molina saying how badly he would love to play with him <laughs> before he retired. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are always trying to execute, sort of play amateur GM like the rest of us behind the scenes, even if, you know, sometimes the, the actual front office guys will roll their eyes and say, you know, it, it's not going to happen, or <laughs> in some cases it might. So, and by the way, the other option I think they could consider on this, this shortstop question while we're here is just letting the market play out. If, you know, there's, you know, let's not forget about Simeon as well. There's Trevor Simeon out there, or rather uh, Marcus Simeon out there. They're, they could just wait around and see, you know, whose market just doesn't materialize the way they'd hoped it would. And what if at the end of, you know, the free agency period going into spring training, Javi Baez is just out there. Now, I know he struck out 170 times or whatever it was last year. doesn't really seem like a Cardinal kind of guy, but, boy, he's an awfully good defender, and he has tremendous power, which we've all seen. I, You know, I just wonder if – and I, I just think the guy's a very good baseball player, and, I, you know, I just wonder if they, if they just wait and see how the market develops. There's, a, there's very likely to be one guy who doesn't get the deal he's hoped, and maybe you could get a guy on a good pillow deal for next year, a one-year kind of prove-it deal, and get a great bargain. So, again, I think they're in good position to kind of wait it out, um, see what's out there. But they're not in. A, they don't have to fill, you know, their number one starter role. They don't have to fill their, you know, st you know, their number three hitter. They've got the key guys in place. It's really we're talking about, you know, some changes on the margin that they need to make, and that's a good spot to be. Do you do you really think that Cardinal Nation would accept Javi Baez and say please, please, please come and join us? I, I mean, personally as a fan, I'd say no, thank you. I think he'd be he would be like last on my list of all the guys that are out there that could play shortstop. You know, like you said, Marcus, would that be, be is that because of his car is that Cubs history or is that because of the type of player he is? Both. Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> okay. The, all right. I, I hear you. I, you know, I don't yeah. like I don't like the player that he is. I don't like. He's, you know, as flashy as you are, you should be a lot better. How about that? Um, but, yeah. you know, would I would rather have, like you said, Marcus Simeon, who's, you know, 31 years old, who wants to play shortstop. Just turned 31. Yeah, yeah, wants to play shortstop, doesn't want to be at second. So it's kind of taking the Jays out of that because they're not moving out of their shortstop spot. So he's got to go somewhere if he's if he doesn't want to play second base. I think that makes, to me, he makes the most cardinal sense, not for what I want as a fan, but because Cardinals love a short-term deal, and um, I think that would be one of those pillow-type deals that you're talking about. A couple-year, two-, three-year deal um, would fit just right for him, I think. Hey, Javi and yeah. uh, Javi and Yachty are good friends, though. Y yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I do agree that, you know, Javi may not be super popular with Cardinals fans right now. Um, but again, I look at how he plays. He plays really hard. Um, he play, He's a tremendous defender. I do agree that the strikeout rate is ridiculous. I wish that he had sort of paid a little more attention to, you know, maintaining that just all around great player that he was when he was younger. But We've seen, you know, so many guys sell out for the home run. It's just the way the game has gone, and he's an extreme example of that. But I guess for me, if it were, you know, I would have some concern about Marcus Simeon regressing just because he's not going to be hitting in front of Vlad Guerrero, who's arguably the best hitter in ba- the best right-handed hitter in baseball right now, and he's not going to be hitting at uh, the Rogers Center, which is really one of the best offensive places to hit in, in baseball. Um, so I, I'd wonder about a little regression there, but he is a very, very good player overall. Maybe not the defender um, that some of these other guys are, but again, there's a lot of really good shortstops out there. And, you know, I, I don't think the worst thing in the world is, is just waiting for the market to develop and see who's kind of the unpopular one and wondering whether there might be, you know, something that you could sort of grow to love about that guy, right? That does sound like the Cardinals' way, not spending a ton of money and finding the the, la- the last person at the dance that needs a date. But uh, let's transition a little bit to DH, you know, the possibility, the likelihood, you know, people talk about it's going to come next year in some, some form. Um, do you think the Cardinals try and just keep, like, a Gorman and Yepes, um, you know, there, or do you see a signing of a, a Pujols or a Schwarber uh, for the Cardinals? You know, I don't understand this narrative of just, you know, turning Nolan Gorman into a DH at, you know, 21 years old, or I think he's about, it's probably right in that range if he's not still 20. Um, it just seems, you know, don't you want to give him a chance to be great, right? And and you don't you don't see that many 21-year-old DHs who end up being great. They, they have to keep playing a position to continue to develop. So I think I would that just doesn't sound like a Cardinals move to me. Um, Juan Yepes is a totally different story. He's more of a, you know, an older type prospect who came on with one really strong year. And he does kind of, when you look at his profile, it is more of just a strict bat, you know, power bat. So he makes more sense. It's risky though, right? I mean, he could be, you know, could he be Jose Martinez, the, the guy they had who was that, you know, that great pinch hitter, um, you know, potential DH type guy, or, you know, is he going to struggle when he faces the better pitching at this level? You don't know. Um, so I do think it makes sense to really explore that market, but I don't think it has to be a DH who they sign. I think it could be something else. And then again, you know, we've seen a lot of teams in the American League don't have an everyday DH. They just sort of rotate it. And that's, that's a perfectly good way to go. I think what teams value more than anything nowadays is, is flexibility. So in some ways, that might be a, a better way to go than to get a guy, whether it's Kyle Schwarber, whether it's Nelson Cruz, whether it's Albert Pujols, and just going, these are DH every game. That's the end of the story. So um, I, I don't see that happening. I think it's more likely that they'll stay creative and maybe more flexible. Yeah, the Gorman thing is going to be really interesting, right? Because like we said, obviously, we're happy. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are happy to still have him as a top prospect. The bat obviously plays. There's a lot of power there. But, for example, if the Cardinals do go out and get a Trevor Story, let's say, for the next three or four years, right? He's going to be at shortstop every day. Tommy Evans is going to be at second base every day. So if you're looking at developing Gorman in the majors, it's probably going to be a lot of those DH at bats. Or maybe you move Tommy somewhere else and give him second base sometimes. So that's going to be really interesting. It's just really interesting to me thinking about, all right, what's going to be the landscape of Gorman? And I wonder how much of that is driving the front office and thinking about making a move for a guy like Trevor Story. Well, I agree with you that, you know, one option is is to put Tommy Edmund at, at second base every day and just leave it alone. But I wonder whether it it's worth at least exploring an upgrade there. As good as Tommy Edmund is, and he's got a great skill set, I admire the heck out of the fact that he's a really good switch hitter he can play just about anywhere on the diamond and not embarrass you um you know he's not you know an impact hitter really when you dig in on his numbers he hit a lot of doubles he he didn't hit a lot of balls over the fence and 
the game is really moving toward, I think, a scenario where you're going to be looking for pitchers who strike guys out, and you're going to be looking for pitchers who can or hitters who can hit home runs. And I, I do think it's at least worth exploring what the team would look like. Let's say Nolan Gorman really comes on and he's on fire in the minor leagues. Should he be your your everyday second baseman and Tommy Edmond then becomes this tremendous asset off the bench? I see Tommy Edmond as one of the potentially one of the best you know bench pieces in the National League. To me, he doesn't automatically jump out as a guy who I've got to have in my lineup every day. He's not a guy who gets on base at an extraordinarily high level. He's got a decent slugging percentage. It's far from elite, and he's a good defender, not a great defender. To me, what that says is. Great bench guy, you know, middle of the road everyday guy. So, I, for me, I would, I would absolutely not go into a season assuming that Tommy Edmond is my everyday everything, anything. Yeah, I would, I would agree, Mark. And, and ever since he's come up, I, you know, I've looked at him as, oh man, this could be our Ben Zobrist Swiss Army knife type of player, right? Because right. he just has that skill set. I love Tommy, right. big, big Tommy fan personally. Um, all right, so I have a. We'll end on this one. Um, one of our Twitter followers with a question um, was asking about the Marmol and Schilt dynamic. Um, is Marmol a long-term guy, and is Mo the one that's coming in the hot seat if he's going to go through th- possibly three managers over a short period of time? You know, how is that dynamic changing um, because of those three guys? Well, for me, like the obvious answer is yes. Mo will for sure be on the hot seat because he keeps cycling through managers, right? And we've seen this is the third guy in, what, uh, four years now, five years. So, obviously, there's, there's there's nowhere else to deflect the attention at this point, right? But I, I think the, the number one caveat is none of our opinions matter. And everything, everything I've heard about the relationship between Mo and the ownership group is that it is rock solid and they've absolutely doubled down at every juncture on Mo. They've made him the president of baseball operations, I think with a succession plan in mind where eventually he could maybe be one of these sort of more, you know, senior advisor kind of guys. So I think that relationship is absolutely rock solid. I don't know that he's on the hot seat as much as maybe fans either assume he is or maybe even you know, quietly or not so quietly want him to be. So I don't know that I could say that with any certainty. I do know that the publicity, the sort of the the uh, eyewash of it, if things don't go well next year, is it's going to be on him because they've doubled down on, uh, you know, Jeff Albert's way of teaching hitting and, um, you know, the notion of leaning on their analytics department even more heavily. Um, which is technically under Mike Gersh, but it's been Mo's sort of, uh, you know, move to push the, the the organization in that direction with the total agreement of Bill DeWitt and the owners. So I don't know about that. I think there's an assumption among us because fans will be upset, but the fans don't ultimately get to decide who works for them. The guys who own the team do. Yeah, I think I think uh, Mo thinks he's pretty rock steady. I don't think he has any worries out there. All right. Well, is there any um anything else you want to add? You know, if you want to put your uh, Twitter handle out there, I mean, that's where I follow you, obviously. But anything you want, any plugs you want to make or anything like that? Yeah, you know, not at the moment because I'm sort of a free agent out there looking at a lot of different options. But definitely follow me on Twitter. I love the interaction, Mark A. Saxon on Twitter, and I'm doing um, locally here. I do a lot of radio uh, at 101 ESPN. I'll be doing tomorrow morning on. Uh, with Michelle Smallman filling in for the great Randy Carricker. So those awesome. are some big shoes to fill. <laughs> well, awesome, Mark. Well, we really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, one of my favorite follower follows on Twitter. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, a great Cardinal guy, great St. Louis guy. So thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate thank the you, time, Mark. Oh, yeah, thank you. It was really nice talking to you guys. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast going forward. Thanks again, Mark. And let's get now to our Twitter poll. And, Josh, I'll – put it out to you first and then we'll put it up on Twitter and and let other people decide. But um, what do you think is more likely the Cardinals sign a top five free agent shortstop? So we're talking about, you know, Seager, Correa, Simeon, Story, you know, all those guys. Um, They, or they sign an impact DH bat. So we're talking about Schwarber, 
pool holes, I'll call that an impact, you know, a bigger name move. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz, yeah, you know, guys like that. Or they sign a top-tier starter for the rotation. So we're talking about Scherzer, Stroman, um, some of those bigger name guys. Kevin Gosman, maybe. Yeah, yeah, just the guys that are out there that, you know, which one is most likely, do you think, not what we want, what do you think is most likely the Cardinals uh, will, will sign? I think it's probably most likely the DH. Right. I think they that that's a hole we need a left handed bat. I think they, they go after that optimistically. I think, I hope that they're gonna go get that Trevor story, that shortstop, and just fill the DH role internally or maybe with someone else lower in down the totem pole. Maybe like a Brad Miller. Maybe we bring a Brad Miller back to be DH. Okay. Well, you know, and I I like to be optimistic as well. Um but I, I have some not so optimistic parts as well. So do you know how many $25 million guys are in the league that... Okay, let me rephrase this. Do you know how many teams have more than two $25 million guys on the roster in the whole league? Probably not many. Yeah, that, well, that's correct. So we, <laughs> The we, Dodgers. I'm going to guess the Dodgers are one of them. So we have, obviously, two guys in Nolan Arenado and Goldschmidt. Right. There is exactly one team that has three or more, the Dodgers. And they have like six right now on the roster. Now, they didn't pay for most of those salaries because of trades and things that were moved over. But they are the one and only team to have more than two $25 million guys. So does that sound like the Cardinals are going to jump into that heap and add a big-name guy for a long term? It doesn't. Probably no. <laughs> not. But but maybe a guy like Trevor Story doesn't cost $25 million a year. We, we don't know yet, right? And, and And Paul Goldschmidt, I will say... I think that contract's been great, but hey, he's a free agent after 2024. That's that's only a couple of years. I think that's important. Jack Flaherty extension happens in that same yep. time frame too. So if you're trying to sign him, does that hurt you if you're trying to sign Carlos Correa? Yes, I think it does. If you're wanting both. Right. Um but personally, I'll take Correa for a long term and let Jack walk personally. But I think the starting pitcher role is changing dramatically. And I am going to be We saw it this postseason with all the openers. Yes, and but I think a part of that is also COVID year and yeah. innings and minor leaguers not being able to pitch as much. Absolutely. You know, I don't think it's permanent how drastic it became, but I'm going to be boring and go with you and say most likely is going to be a DH uh, bat. I could see them r- willing to spend a couple mil, you know, a higher amount, 20 million even, 15 yeah. million for a couple of years, more likely than they would to go somewhere else in the longer term. Well, let's hope we're pleasantly surprised, and let's hope this off season uh, the stove gets a bit hotter. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about that part too. But uh, well, that's it for the that's a winter podcast today. Thanks to, again to Mark Saxon for joining us and talking Cardinals baseball with us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at that's a winter pod. Tweet us any questions you want uh, to discuss or guests you want to hear from, and don't forget that the um, the Twitter poll will be up right. Yeah, we'll have that up. You guys vote on which of these three options you think the Cardinals will be doing this off season. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Josh Brown. That's the co-host. I'm Ryan Jenkins. And this has been That's the Winter Podcast. From the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's the winner. That's the winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.